with me tonight to the book of James. Bidding us special tonight with a focus on part of our scripture even this evening. James chapter 5, we began a series of messages on Sunday nights, most generally about the verses that have to do with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, either a verse or a passage that has that message, that theme, that subject in it. And uh, we saw, we preached a message from 2 Peter chapter 3, and then also a message last week regarding Second Kingdom of Christ and missions and divine election in the book of Acts. Tonight I want us to look at James chapter 5. Our main verses tonight will be 7 and 8, but our text for the evening is James chapter 1 verses 5 through 11 because really this, you've got to read the first six verses to appreciate the message God has for us in the next verses. We could divide the message tonight into two simple parts. First of all, the condemnation, that's verses 1 through 6. Verses 1 through 6, condemnation, that's the introduction really to the subject. It's the setting or the context, condemnation. And then the second point of the message is consolation, consolation. That begins down at verse 7, it goes down through verse 11. Actually, it goes through pretty much the end of the chapter. We're only going to go through verse 11 tonight. So please <coughs> follow along as I read James chapter 5. Notice verses 1 through 11, but be thinking about the two sections here, condemnation of whom and consolation for whom in the light of what we've already read, all right? Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold the hire of the husband, excuse me, behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped, which have reaped, have entered into the ears of the Lord, of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just and and he doth, he doth not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husband waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he received the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient. Here's the key verse. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken unto you in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Could we tonight, first of all, please, look just for a little while at the first six verses, the condemnation the introduction actually to the message in verses 7 through 11 that focuses on a believer looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how this passage begins. Go to now. Go to now basically means, and everything in the Bible is important, but the idea here is, look, look, listen. This is vitally important, God says. You better listen up. Sometimes parents say to children, look at me now, look at me. Are you listening to me? Look at me. 
May I have your undivided attention, somebody says? The idea here is, look, this is vitally important. You better listen up. Go to now. Well, what's the message somebody better listen up to? It has to do with people who are wealthy. We are naturally tempted, folks, to envy wealthy people. I, I notice I said the word naturally. In ourselves, in our flesh, we are naturally tempted to envy wealthy people. God says throughout the scriptures that not all the time, but usually we should not envy wealthy people. We should feel sorry for wealthy people. You say, well, I, I have a problem with that. No, you don't. If you, if you really read the Bible and see what God says about the danger and the problems that usually come with wealth, you would not have a problem doing that because remember, again, we tend to look the other way. We see all the things they have and all the places they get to go. We see the clothes they wear, the cars they drive, the houses they live in, all the toys they have. We say, oh, boy, wouldn't that be nice? No, that's just our natural self, okay? We naturally envy them. God says perhaps we should feel sorry for them. Wealth usually brings merriment at first. Usually when, at the beginning, when you get wealth, it's really exciting and it's a lot of pleasure and it brings a lot of merriment at first, but then oftentimes uh, the merriment leads to misery. In fact, we're, we're really pretty close. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world and we certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Now look at 9 and 10. But they that will, or they that will to be rich, what we usually desire and we want and we envy those who have it. Okay, God says, but they that will to be rich, they fall into temptation and a snare, into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Why? Because the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, got to have more, they have pierced, they have, excuse me, they have erred from the faith, and they have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. People say, we've all heard the phrase, from rags to riches. God says, not always, quite often, in fact, usually, it's from riches to rags. And if it's not from riches to rags on this life, in this life, on this earth, to have all the wealth of the world and die and go to hell, that's surely from riches to rags. <coughs> now remember, please, it's not sin to, it is not sin to be wealthy. It is not sin to have wealth. The problem usually with having wealth is that people forget. They don't know how they got it, and they forget how easily they can lose it. We can lose our money. We can lose our things. They perish. They rot. They decay. They get holes in them. They corrode. They rust. They tarnish. They get lost. They lose value. They get stolen, etc., what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6, verse what, 19? Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But he said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so it's not a sin to be wealthy if God chooses to give a person some wealth. And there are some very wealthy, godly men and women in the Bible, amen? It's not sinful to have wealth. The question is, how did you get your wealth? If you got your wealth wrongly, then that's wrong. And then what is your attitude toward your wealth when you get it? So how did you get it? What's your attitude toward it when you have it? And then thirdly, what are you doing with it? I mean, that really summarizes the whole question of, is it wrong or is it right to, to, to have wealth? Well, how did you get it? What is your attitude about it? And then what are you doing with it? And so God in this passage, he says that there are some things that these people were doing wrongly because of their wealth. 
And that's really the last part of verse 3 all the way through 6. Let's just look at them. He says there are three, if I remember correctly. First of all, he says they were hoarding their wealth. Verse 3, your gold and silver is cankered. He says in verse 2, which we just talked about, your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver is cankered. The rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Then he says, first problem, you have heaped treasure together for the last days. They hoarded their wealth, stacking up money, accumulating wealth, hoarding, does not bring a person true joy. I mean, it's really not God's plan for us to stack up, to store up, to hoard whatever he gives us. Now, I've said this before, and I want to say it again. There's nothing wrong with saving for a rainy day that is biblical, amen? There's nothing wrong with saving for later time in life when you can't work and make a living. And you ought not to expect everybody in the world to take care of you because you squandered all your money and whatever else, okay? There's nothing wrong with saving. There's nothing wrong with having provisions for times, for problems in the future, including when you retire and you can't work anymore. But there is something wrong with how much do you save and how much do you store up. And, 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 it, and it becomes, and, and some of you, hey, I've never experienced this until really the last few years as you get closer and closer to retirement, then you have that question, well, you know, how much do you really need to retire? And you don't know the future. You have no idea of the future, but you know of responsibility to provide for that time when you retire. But at the same time, as you try to save for your retirement, then what's your attitude about that? Do you have to have a certain schedule and you can't give away or you can't be, be a blessing to others or you have to let up and you're giving something else? No, no, that's not the time to back off. Just because you're saving for the future, that's the time to say, look, God is blessed and so I have some extra that I can give. I can give a gift to somebody. I can give more to the Lord. I can give more to missions, whatever. It's, it's not easy to maintain the right attitude about this all the way through life. Whether you're a young person just getting money for the first time or you're just in college or you're finally out of college and then you're getting married and now you're a young married couple, then pretty soon you're middle-aged and later on you're not middle-aged anymore. I mean, this whole idea of finances is a, is a really big subject in the Bible. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he says, we already quoted the verses, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth. Don't stack it up. Don't put it on top of each other. Don't, don't hoard it while you're on the earth. And it doesn't matter what your age is. If your age is 5 years old, 15 years old, 25 years old, 40 years old, or 85 years old, God says do not lay up unnecessarily all this stuff on earth and be glad and excited about what you have. And sometimes then you get your eyes off them and you say, hey, I've got it all taken care of. No, our eyes should always be upon our God, always, always. So don't accumulate wealth. Share it for the good of others and for the glory of God. And then look at verse 4, because their second problem was they didn't treat their employees right. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which of you kept back by, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. So what was wrong with these people? See, they had a wrong attitude about how they were getting their wealth and, what they, and the attitude that they had when they got it and what they were doing with it. Basically, they were covetous. They were greedy. They were selfish. They were self-centered. They were unkind. They were unloving. And they were deaf 
to the cries of the needy people who had worked hard for them. But notice, did you notice? It says, the cries of these laborers, you, you have not heeded their cries, you haven't listened to their cries, but the cries of these laborers that you've treated unfairly, those cries have entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. Who's the Lord of Sabbath? The, 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 the message here is, is the Lord of hosts. He's the one who's in command and control of all the angelic hosts. So they weren't giving others fair wages to start with weren't paying them what they should, or they weren't paying them on time. Sometimes they weren't paying them what they agreed to pay them. Sometimes they didn't pay them at all. And I remember when I was, and I know I've told a story before, I'm going to tell you two of them. I remember, I think I told you both of them. I remember when I was a little boy, probably in about the sixth grade, my mom was having a baby about every year. I was a third one. And after you have several, then you go to the hospital. It wasn't like today. You go to the hospital, have your baby come home the next morning. Exaggerated, but close, okay. Back in those days, you had a baby, you're in the hospital a week. So, Dad, he's got to go to work. So, all the kids, they go off to their relatives. So, I, I went to Uncle Gerald and Aunt Justine, or whatever her name was. Aunt Justine. I forget her first name. And my, my uncle owned a huge onion farm. There were muck farms, black, just beautiful, black, fertile dirt up in Grant, Michigan. So Larry goes off to Uncle, Uncle Martin's again, Uncle Vanitykeen, Geraldine, Martin and Geraldine. And they said, well, you can work for us while you're here. So, I mean, they put me to work. You know what I did all day? Topped onions. Go out and pull onions out of the ground and then cut the top off and throw them in a crate. And you got paid by however many crates you topped. And it came to Friday. I, I'm the, I mean, they're taking care of me. They're providing all my food. My house, they're doing all this good stuff for me, and, I, and I'm working for them, you know. They come to Friday, payday. And all the laborers of the fields, they all come and line up in this kind of back room behind the kitchen. Geraldine's sitting at a little card table there. She's got all kinds of cash, and she, they come by, and they look and see how many crates they top this week, and she gives them their money, and off they go. Well, I was in line with the rest of them, of course. I was pretty excited, too, man. This is my first job, you know. I come up, and she says, well, hey, Butch. Hey, Butch. Let's see here. And she goes, no, let's see. Oh, and she gives me some money. And I say, no, that, that's not how much I made. I made more than that. I mean, this is, I mean, these people are kind to me. They don't, have to, they don't have to do this for me. But, you know, when you're in sixth grade, you don't think like this, you know. You say, I do. Okay, I'm sorry. You're ahead of me. I said, no, that, that's not right. I taught, more, I taught more crates than that. Well, Larry, that's what it says here. I said, well, I don't know what it says here, but I know that's not right. I mean, I know how many crates I topped. And, and I look down, and there's my Aunt Geraldine. She's crying. I'm thinking, what's wrong with you, man? <laughs> and woman, you don't have to cry. Just give me my money. You know what I'm saying? That's all I remember. So I, and I look back and think, what a stupid, selfish, terrible thing to do. That's just, that was just me. You know? And then when I got to be a, what was it, junior in high school maybe, I went to work for a guy who had a big, huge farm. And he took a real interest in me. He went to our church, by the way. He was one of these rare guys. He was like, he was, a, he was a college guy, but he was a go-getter. He was organized. He was, I mean, he was a Harvard guy, and he bought some property, and, and he went out and started a farm when he's in college, college-age guy, and he hires me to work for him. I'd get up early in the morning. I would go out to this place where he would come and pick me up, meet me at a place, Then I would go out for the whole morning from like about 7 o'clock in the morning to about noon, and I would pick tomatoes, and I would pick corn. I would pick corn and tomatoes 
all morning till about noon. Then we would go back, and he had a fruit stand, a vegetable and fruit stand set up on the East Belt Line, which was on some highway. So he'd take me over there, he'd set up everything, put all the vegetables and all the fruit and everything out there and get his cash register out there. And then he would drive off, and then I would run the cash register. I would run the store basically along the highway for the afternoon, and he'd come, he'd come back about at night about 6 o'clock and pick me up. Well, one night he comes to pick me up. And uh, it was time for him to pay me. And he starts payment, and then he starts giving me some money, and then he says, uh, uh, Butch, I'm really sorry, but he said, I, uh, I, we didn't make a lot of money today. He said, you know, profits are kind of down today, so I'm not going to be able to, to pay you as much as I know that, that I usually do and what you've earned. So he said, I'm, I'm really sorry. Maybe we'll do better tomorrow. That just really hit me wrong. I thought, man, I worked all day. That's not my problem. We didn't make a big profit, didn't sell as much, but, you know, it's, I've done my job. And you, you, you should pay me what I owe me. But I could tell he wasn't going to pay me. I, I did a wrong thing, okay? I went over to the cash register, I pushed a couple buttons, and the drawer flipped open, and I reached in and started taking some bills out. And he said, uh, what are you doing? He said, what are you doing? I said these exact words. I'm getting the money that I deserve that you owe me. He said, put it back. I said, I'm not putting it back. He said, I said, put it back. I said, you owe me this money. It's my money. And then what I remember was he started toward me. Okay? I don't know what to do. I didn't put the money back. I saw him coming. I reached down. I picked up the first tomato I saw, big, huge red tomato. He said, you really did. I really did. I picked that thing up. I remember him coming at me, and I fired at him. I threw it as hard as I could. He said, where'd you aim? Right in his face. He said, where'd you hit him? Right here. I mean, it's just like, whoa! And it said, splat. This big old huge tomato hits him on the forehead. There's this juice and all these seeds running down. Now, you think, it was, you think his face was red? It was red for two reasons. It was red because he was mad. And he was red because he had tomato everywhere its way. What do you think my face was? Probably white. I didn't say, man, cool shot, good shot, man. No, I took off. I took off. When I look back, he was getting his red truck. Now he's got a red face and a red truck, okay? He's getting his red truck, and I look back, and he, he's chasing me down the highway. I'm running down the highway. I could tell I didn't have a chance. I ran across the little, uh, somebody's lawn there. I jumped over a fence, and, you know, I got away from Bill. I wasn't going to say his name because you check it out on Facebook. That'd be bad, okay? You know, I got away. I got away. I went through all kinds of fields. Went around. I finally uh, hitchhiked and got, got home. Only problem was when I got home, I've told this story before, when I got home, I thanked the guy. I looked, there's Bill's red truck in my driveway. Uh, he, he, he beat me. At my, well, he went to my church. We were good friends. Okay, we were good friends. Uh, but he knew where I lived. You say, Pastor Carsey's, well, he got what he deserved. No, no, I was wrong. I was wrong. Now, he's the first part of the story because he really should have paid me what I deserved. He should have paid me. We agreed for that. And I, you know, that's what we agreed to. But I had no business acting like I did and to take the money and say, I deserve it and take it out of the cash register, that wasn't right on my part. This, every time I read this passage, I cannot help but think of the story because we were both wrong. He was wrong in what he did, but I was wrong in what, what I did because I didn't know this passage of Scripture then. If I, I hope if I'd have known then what I know when I know now when I'm preaching tonight, I would like to believe I would have reacted differently. But they were not treating their employees right. 
And then thirdly, verse 5, they were living high off the hog. You ever heard, what, you, what does that mean, living high off the hog? You ever heard that phrase? You've heard the phrase. What do you mean? Living high off the hog, man. That's the, the, the upper flanks of the pig is where the best meat was. Now, I'd take a steak any day before a pork chop, okay? But they, they, they don't say living high off the beef, okay? It's living high off the hog. But it's the upper flank of, a, of the pigs. That's supposed to be the very best meat. That's the delicate meat. That's the, that's, that's the elite meat. So when somebody says, well, they're living high off the hog, that means they're, they're eating the best. They got the very best. He says, and look, look at, you look at verse 5. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You are enjoying the choicest meats, we say, from the pig's upper flanks. I mean, you are getting, you're, you got the best of everything. Dr. Schofield in the reference Bible says, you have lived luxuriously and indulged yourself. Really, that's a good paraphrase. You have lived, in, uh, you have lived luxuriously. You've indulged yourself. A summary, it's living in fleshly, sensual pleasure, or I think perhaps two good words would be elegant lifestyle. And you say, well, what's wrong with that? And somebody says, well, if a person's got a lot of money, then it's their own business how they live. I mean, for that guy to drive a, a, a $75,000 vehicle while you drive your $28,000 vehicle, I mean, what's, what's the big deal, man? He's got a lot of money. I mean, so he lives in a $700,000 house, and you live in a $160,000 house. I mean, you know, and so he does this, and so he goes there, and so he, he wears this, and so he eats there, and so he buys this, and he's got all these different toys, and he's got, all, he's got his own yacht, he's got his own second house, and he's got to say, so what's the big deal, man? He deserves it as his money. God says, no, just because you have a lot doesn't mean you can just have fun living a lot to satisfy your own fleshly nature. That's what he's getting at. It's back to your attitude while you have the money. And so God says the problem with these people is they ought, to, they ought to listen up because you've lived in pleasure. Elegant lifestyle. You weren't content just to have the medium, just to have a little, just to wear this or eat that or drive this or live in that or whatever else. You, know, you got to, no, you got to, and you're going off to all these different places that take all kinds of money because it's like this is just so pleasurable. This is so much fun. God says, no, that's all, it's all wrong. It's all wrong if that's what your money's all about. And then notice what he says. He says, you have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Look at the end of verse 5. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have fattened yourselves. The idea is you're getting ready to be butchered either for food or sacrifice. And the words are, they're, they're not unimportant words when he says you have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. What's that all about? The picture here is of coming judgment. Either judgment while you are still on this earth or judgment perhaps after you die, but judgment is coming because you have gotten your wealth wrongly, your attitude is wrong about your wealth, and what you're doing with your wealth is wicked. It's wrong. It's selfish. Judgment is coming. You know, when I read this passage and I think of what that means, we live out, as you know, out in Surrey Hills, and, and every day coming to work down Northwest Expressway, uh, quite often on the right, about just as you get past the Kilpatrick there, if I remember correctly, yeah, uh, there's a whole bunch of fields there, and, and, and quite often there's this, the, the most beautiful, I mean, everybody's got their favorite colored cows, but, you know, I just, I, I mean, black Angus cows to me, they're just beautiful. And, and, and my, when I see a big black Angus cow, you know, I start to kind of drool, you know, because I think of those steaks at, at Texas Roadhouse, it must be black Angus, I'm sure, you know what I mean. But, you know, you see these cows out there. You see these, these cows in, in some baby cal calves, you know, and then and a few weeks later, a few months later, you know, so they're getting a little bigger, then they're getting a little bigger. And pretty soon those, those black Angus, you know, I mean, the, you know, they're, they're really getting big. And they're getting bigger and bigger 
and bigger, and it's like all of a sudden you think, oh, and you come to work one day, and guess what? They're not there. Would you like to guess why they're not there? You say, yeah, they finally retired, and they're down there in Hawaii having a good time with their calves. No, 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 no. They're done. They have finally got fat enough that the, the one who had them, the rancher, he's looking at the markets. He knows what, what beef sells for, and what he knows, he knows the whole thing, you know. And so he, he's got it all timed just perfectly, and now this is a great time. There's a great, there's a great uh, uh, price now for beef, and his, his calves are fat enough, and so he says, let's go, and they are butchered. And you know what God says? Rich people, you gotta, you're getting your money wrongly. You've got a bad attitude about your money. You're not dealing right with your money. You better be thinking because all you're doing is fattening yourselves, getting ready for the day of judgment. Your day is coming. Now, uh, what about the other side? What about people on the other side? He says, um, look how he begins verse 7. Be Patient, what's the next word? Therefore. Patient, therefore. I think I, I, I missed it on my notes. I had the wrong page there. Would you look please at verse six before we get to the other side? You have condemned and killed the just. This was their other problem. You have condemned and killed the just and he doth not resist you. What's that all about? They were using their wealth and influence in courts to bring sentence, to bring judgment against those who are poor and helpless even though they were innocent. God mentions this back in chapter 2. Look at back cha in chapter 2, if you would, please, back in verse 6. Because in chapter 2, God says to believers, hey, listen, uh, you got a problem because you're not thinking right about sometimes people that come to visit your assembly. Somebody comes in, and, and he's got poor clothing. He's just, you know, tattered in rags, and you can tell this guy doesn't have much. Somebody else comes in, he's got the finest of clothes, he's got pure jewelry, he's got fancy diamond rings, and you say, oh, so what you're doing is you treat them differently, you welcome them differently, you treat them differently. That's all what these first few verses about in James chapter 2. He says, you're, trying to, you're judging a book by its cover, you should never do that. And God gives these Christians several reasons that they weren't looking at that right. And one of the things he says was in verse 6. He says, you have despised the poor. You're treating the wealthy so gloriously, but you've despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by which you are called? I mean, these are the people that you're treating so, so cheerfully and so graciously and giving them all the attention when they come walking into your assembly. And these poor people are saying, well, why don't, uh, I don't, yeah, you can sit over here someplace. Oh, I'm sorry, why don't you just go ahead and stand back there by the wall? So you got it mixed up. Do you not understand these are people that, that, that oppress you? These are the people that draw you before the judgment seats. That's what he's talking about back in chapter 5 and verse 6 where he says, You have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. I mean, you are using your wealth to influence even in court and, and to condemn innocent people. In fact, some people were sentenced to die, so these, these wealthy people were basically guilty of murder is what he's saying. Now, that's the condemnation. That's the introduction to the rest, the rest of the chapter where it says, be patient, therefore, so you know there's a connection here together. So now God gives some consolation to his people. And this is the main subject in these next few verses. And I didn't really think of this when I started working on this message because the reason that I worked on this message was because several days I kept thinking of this verse when I was thinking about second coming messages and what are some verses and passages in the New Testament that speak about the second coming that might be good to preach on. And in my mind, I just kept saying, hey, be ye therefore patient. Establish your hearts. 
for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. I thought, that's a great verse. And I worked on the message. And as I was finishing the message, and then as you see the news once in a while, the last few days, I'm thinking, you know what? This might be one of the most important messages I've ever preached. I mean, this could be extremely, extremely valuable for us to remember this passage of Scripture in the days that come. Because I find myself a little apprehensive about the future. How about you? I find myself really, really, really concerned about some things, really burned about some things. Sometimes I find myself even angry about some things, but I hope it's righteous anger. It's not about men, and it's not about a, a political party. It's all about what people stand for and what they want and what they believe. And what most people believe today who are in charge or getting in charge is about the opposite of what I believe about a lot of biblical things. Anybody agree with that? Say amen. If you don't, I'm sorry. That's just the way. They're, they're, biblical issue. they're biblical issues, not political party or people issues. It's what does this book say? And are we going toward the direction of being more biblical? Or does it look like we might go a different direction? That's a cause for concern. And somebody says, yeah, as a Christian, we might not be treated too well in the future. Then we better remember this passage. Be also patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And so God gives to believers here, he gives us three commands, and then he gives us three uh, encouragement, words of encouragement to motivate us. The three commands, quickly please, he commands us to be patient. Be patient, therefore. Be patient. He says it in verse 7. He says it in verse 8. Be also patient. As a matter of fact, that happens to be the key word in this passage. It's found in verse 7. It's found in verse 8, it's found twice in 7, it's found in verse 8, it's found in verse 10, it's found in verse 11. And as we read all these verses, and I have them all circled in my Bible, it's like, I think that's the key word here. So what is patience? The word patience comes from the words that, that are long and temper, long temper. In other words, set your temper timer for a long time. Think long, have a long fuse. Focus on the final lap of the race of life. Because to be to be. To be patient means to be long-spirited, means to be forbearing, to be long-suffering, to bear up under to or to endure. In fact, he uses the verse, he gives us a, a, the word also endures found in verse 11. Go to verse 11. Behold, we count them happy which what? Endure. So what does endure mean? It's the Greek word from which we get our word, from which the word patience comes. It means to stay under, to remain Figuratively, to undergo, that is to bear, to bear trials, to have fortitude, to persevere is a good, good synonym, to endure. And God says we really need that. We've got to be patient with people. We have to be patient with situations. No matter what comes our way in 2021, listen now, God says you be patient. You endure. You hold up under. Don't fall apart. Don't get angry. Don't get depressed. Don't quit. Don't run. Do something foolish. No, no, no. God says you just persevere. You just endure. You just remain under. You be patient with people and you remain, you remain patient with situations or circumstances. And number two, he says, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. We'll talk about that last, be our last one. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit. Be patient, therefore, brethren. I'm sorry, uh, verse eight. Be ye also patient. What's the next one? Establish your hearts. Establish comes from the word to make stiff or strong, stable, sure. The word means to establish, to strengthen, to set resolutely in a certain direction your heart. So we have to, do, we have to make up our mind about a few things. We have to think right about things. 
David the psalmist said, my heart is fixed, O Lord, my heart is fixed. That's the idea here. Establish your hearts. Uh, Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Uh, Joshua 1, 9. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. And I'll tell you one thing. Every time I, I check my news on my phone or, or hear it on the news or hear it on the radio or whatever, anytime I hear the news, I think, you know, you know, Larry, you better stay strong, my friend. You better stay strong. And then I think, yeah, the only way you're going to stay strong is you better keep your eyes on the Lord. You better, you better keep your eyes on the word of God. You better be thinking of scripture. Listen, folks, if you're not a person who wakes up in the morning thinking Bible, you better start being that kind of person, whatever it takes. If you're a person who can go through a whole day and never think about the Bible, I, I feel really sorry for you in the days ahead if what is coming I think might be coming, and I don't like saying that. It is going to be the word of God that is going to sustain us. It's going to be the word of God that strengthens us. It's going to be the word of God that keeps us being what we should be, walking in the fullness of God's spirit. And so God says, look, you're being mistreated by these wealthy people. They've got all these problems and all these situations that are so bad. He says, okay, first of all, just, just be patient. Be patient. Hang on. You know, we use the phrase hang in there. I don't like that phrase hang in there, but it's, it's okay. You know, it says hang in there, hang in there, be patient, just hold up, okay? And then he says, and be strong, be fixed. Establish, strengthen, settle your hearts. Number three, he says in verse nine, grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. What does it mean to grudge? We talk about holding a grudge. It's really not the same here. Grudge means to make or be in straits. That is, by implication, to sigh or to murmur. A good word is murmur. To pray inaudibly with grief or to groan or to sigh. And so God says, don't murmur or complain with groaning or sighing one to another. What does it say in Philippians 2.14? Do all things without murmuring and disputing. Do all things without murmuring, without disputing. And I'll tell you, that's becoming hard, is it not? It really is. You don't think that's becoming hard? You just sit down and watch the 530 News on a, on a national network. And then don't say anything about it. Now, if you're watching it by yourself, you can just talk to nobody about yourself, okay? What if you're watching it with your wife? What if you're watching it with your children? What if the last thing you do is watch the 530 News, and then you come off to church to spend some time with your Christian friend? What do you talk about it coming down the hallway? It is not easy to obey this verse. He says, grudge not one against another, brother. Don't be murmuring, don't be complaining, don't be groaning before each other and to each other, and even in our own heart and mind. I put it this way, whether it be with family or work associates or fellow students or Christian friends or to your boss and employer, to anyone, no, don't, 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 be, don't be, just always be talking about all the things that you're upset about and, and that you don't agree with. And it's like, no, and it's, this is so bad. I don't know what's going to happen here. And it's like back and forth. You go, it doesn't really help a lot, okay? And by the way, I think it also applies. Don't go to your labor union and call for a picket. If the problem's at work, don't go to your labor union and call for a picket. Call for a boycott. Call for a strike to proclaim your gripes and demand your rights. You don't hear as much about labor unions as you used to. When I was in high school, I had a whole bunch of jobs at the same time trying to make money for college. And one of those was at a huge grocery store. At that time, it was the largest grocery store in Grand Rapids. It was an independent store. We were not in a union. But I remember once a year, big-time executives from the local labor union would come to our store. And our manager would tell us, would warn us, they're coming. They'll be here next week for about two days. And he'd say this, they will treat you royally. And then, then our boss would say, you know what? You can do whatever you want to do. You know what I do? He said, I just take everything they give me. 
They want to take me out for big steak dinner. They said, I'll go have a big steak dinner. But he said, I'm not, I'm not going to join the union. They want, to, they want to do whatever they want to do for me. I say, yeah, thank you very much. That's fine. I appreciate that. But he said, they don't know, but they're, nothing they're saying is, 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 is moving me. He said, we're, we're, not going to, we're not going to be a union store. And then he would say something like this. And it was a huge store with a lot of employees. He'd say, listen, if you're ever dissatisfied with something, if you're disappointed with something, if you have a complaint, if you have a gripe, if there's something that you don't think is fair, could I ask you something? Could I tell you something first? He said, you don't have to have a labor union to go to and settle it for you. And you don't have to go to your fellow cashiers and fellow stock buys and boys and truck unloaders and all that, you know. And he said, you, don't, you don't have to do that. He said, just come to the office. This, this guy's name was David. He said, come and talk to Jim or come and talk to me. We'll hear you out. We will do whatever we can do to help you enjoy working in the store, whatever it would take. We want you to, we, we're glad you work here. We want you to stay here. We will do whatever we can to make you happy as an employee. Listen, we really will. But he said, we really don't need a labor union for you to just demand your rights. And, you know, I've looked back, I, was, I didn't know much about that. It was just in high school, but I thank the Lord for that. That's what God is saying, be patient, therefore, until the coming of the Lord. Be patient, stab your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Draw not grudge not one against another brother. You don't have to do that. And then he says, I'm saying, and, and don't take me wrong here, okay? Sometimes we need them and, and, and they can be good people, but you don't have to be in a hurry to get an attorney. Don't be in a hurry to sue somebody. The Bible talks about that. Sometimes you need an attorney. Sometimes you deserve an attorney. And sometimes you thank God that there's an attorney you can contact. Are you with me? Amen. That's a, that's a fact, okay? So don't go out here and say, Pastor Carson is against attorneys. I'm not against attorneys, but I'm saying a lot of people who get an attorney, they really don't need an attorney. You know what they need? They need to go to the Lord and tell the Lord what their problem is, and he can take care of it real well. And then God challenges these people to remember three things. Number one, he says, we ought to remember how the farmer goes about farming. We ought to just think about the farmer for a little. Think about the experience of being a farmer. Back to verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold the husbandman, the farmer. He waits for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long, next word, please. He's got long patience for it. Well, how long? Until he received the early and the latter rain. I mean, a farmer knows they need lots of sunshine, amen? But they also need rain. They don't want, they don't want sunshine all the time. They gotta have some rain, but they don't want rain all the time. They gotta have the sunshine. They don't want too much sunshine. They don't want too much rain. They need the right amount of sunshine, the right amount of rain. And folks, that takes a lot of patience. I didn't know this, but but rain at that time, at, at that part of the country, rain before planting time was October, November in Israel. And then rain before harvest time would have been late March and all throughout April. So these farmers, they have to think long term. They have to keep trusting the Lord for help. I mean, the farmer has to wait several months after he plants the seed. He has to wait until finally it's time to harvest the crop. I don't think I would make a good full-time farmer. I'd be looking at the weather forecast too often. I'd be nervous most of the time. That's just my nature. I'm sorry it's wrong, but I tend to worry about things. I worked on a farm, made a lot of money working on a farm, worked hard on a farm. But I was glad I wasn't Mr. Verhey. I worked at the Verhey farm. Jake and John, two brothers and their sister. And I worked for them, and I worked long hours, and I, I appreciate so much. But I'll tell you one thing. Those were some of the most hardest working people I've ever been around. You better, if you work on a farm, you're a hard worker, amen? 
And I'll tell you one thing, you're always wondering, okay, what's the weather going to be like next week? And then we've got the harvest coming now in about four weeks. And right now it's doing so well. And we don't need a whole lot of rain. And it seems like it's, it seems when's the last time, another time, it's like, when's the last time we've had any rain? It's like, you know, God says, you know, you're having a problem with your situation, whether it's at work or, or in the world or whatever else, okay? You know, you be patient. He said, just, just remember farmers, okay, folks? They, they get long-term. It's not always like what's going to happen today. Or it's like, so what about next week and next month? He said, that's what he's talking about, the farmer here. Then he says, number two, we should remember the example given to us by some who have gone through the suffering before. Verse 10, he talks about the prophets. Let's just read it and we'll go on. Take my brethren, the prophets, these Old Testament prophets, the ones who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. I mean, they weren't always treated right. You know what I'm talking about? Read the Old Testament. The prophets were not always given the, the man of the year award. They had a lot of struggles and difficulties and hardships and trials and persecutions, but they had to keep their eyes upon the Lord. They had to be patient and endure. So he said, remember, when you start going through some tough times, you just think, you're not alone in this. God's men, God's people have suffered this always. You just, you just, you just hang in there and keep your eyes upon the Lord and trust his word. And then he says, don't forget Job. You think you got it bad? Verse 12 or verse uh, 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job. Is that word patient? You've heard of Job. And you have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and he is of tender mercy. God is, what does that mean? God is extremely compassionate. God is very merciful. I mean, we think we have it bad. Read the first chapter of Job. And then read, read Job's attitude. Job's attitude when he says, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Could I say that? Uh, I don't know what I would say. But that's what Job said. He would not charge God foolishly. God has been so good to us. Think of all that God has given to me. God has given to us. He said, should we not also expect some problems or difficulties or evil? He said, oh, surely. But we, we've got a good God. Then you read all those 40 chapters. And then read the last chapter. I wish we had time to read it. Read the last chapter. And see that God gave Job in the end more than he ever had before. That's, that's, in Job's, that's what God did with Job. That was God's will for Job. So God says, remember Job. Just keep your mind on Job. Think about Job. You've heard the patience of Job. You've seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But the whole heart of this whole chapter and passage happens to be back at verse 8, 7 and 8. Be patient, therefore, brethren, how long or for what? Unto the coming of the Lord. Verse 8, be also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. If you have a Schofield Bible, before verse 7, it says part 5, exhortations in view of the coming of the Lord. That's the main thing here. Jesus Christ is coming soon. And by the way, he's coming to set things right. Remember again, verse 9, he says, the end of the verse, he says, Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Now listen, if this was true back then, my Bible says A.D. 60. That's a long time back. Verse 7, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. And verse 8, be ye also patient, establish your hearts, Look at it now. For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And if the coming of the Lord was drawing nigh then, what is it today, folks? And that doesn't, that doesn't make me be a scoffer. That makes me simply say God's word is true. And I believe, some people disagree, I'm sorry. I believe that every 
person in the epistles. Since the day that Christ Jesus went back to heaven and the angels came and said, this same Jesus, which is taken up from you in heaven, he's going to come back. I believe that every true Christian walking in the spirit, right with the Lord, trusting in the Lord, lived with the attitude of maybe he's coming today. And James addresses these people with that idea. Surely you know that Jesus said he's coming back. Surely you know that when he went to heaven, the angel said he is coming back. Listen, the coming of the Lord draws nigh. So be patient, therefore. Establish your hearts because Jesus Christ is coming soon. And I pray, I pray that that might help us in 2021. No matter what happens tomorrow or this week or the rest of January, or February, or if we have spring, if we have summer, if we have fall, all the way through this year, no matter what might happen, I pray that we'll always remember, listen, don't fall apart, don't get angry, don't get depressed, don't run, don't do something stupid. Just remember James 5, verses 1 through 11. And be patient unto the coming of the Lord. Be therefore patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. The judge standeth before the door. And folks, when he comes, he will make everything, would you finish it? Right. He will set things right. Because right now, it just seems like a lot of things are going wrong. God is not dead. God is not blind. God is not deaf. God is still in charge. And one day, this judge who's standing at the door soon to come, he will come and everything will be right. Let's bow for prayer, please. Hope that can be a help tonight. Memorize scripture. Can't memorize the whole Bible. Just pick a few verses here and there to help with whatever the need is. And here's a good verse. If you have not yet memorized this verse, you ought to memorize this verse. Be ye therefore patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. So we learn the verse, we know the verse, we meditate upon the verse, and then, here we go now, we've got to live the verse. Do what it says. Thank you for your word tonight, Lord. Thank you that it's inspired, it's true, it's without error. Help us, I pray, to keep our eyes on your word, to keep learning, and to keep living as we keep our eyes upon you. Give us the grace and the courage and the strength and the desire and the discipline to do that. For we know that you will never fail. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together, please.